According to SNP Global, Asia-Pacific M&A activities in quarter 1, 2022 retreated from 2021's highs, with deal value for the quarter ending at $73.8 billion, a decline of 44% quarter-on-quarter or 18% year-on-year. In the first quarter of 2022, Australia, with $15 billion, led the region by transaction value, followed by China at $12.5 billion and Hong Kong at $11.4 billion. The financial services sector topped mergers and acquisition activities in the first quarter of 2022 with 14.6 billion followed by real estate and communications to understand what's driving M&A activities we are joined by you you Ma, EY Asia Pacific strategy and transactions leader to talk about the what why and how CFOs should be involved in an organization's M&A initiative you welcome to podcasts for future CFO thank you thank you Alan glad to be here can you give us a quick recap of the M&A landscape in Asia-Pacific from 2020 to the current environment that we are in today? Sure, sure, Alan. Maybe I just uh, talk a little bit about M&A in the context of deal volume as well as deal value. Right. So as we look at the post-pandemic landscape, when we have a lockdown in Asia-Pac and the rest of the world, in 2020, we saw a significant dip in both deal value as well as deal volume here in Asia-Pac. There was a significant rebound in 2021, and the rebound both in terms of deal value as well as deal volume exceeded as much as 50% in 2021. Just want to contextualize this rebound. It's pretty much an all-time high. If you look at the last crisis that we went through, which was the global financial crisis, back in 2008, there was a rebound as well post the global financial crisis, but it was not as significant as what we see post-COVID. We should see two reasons for having this rebound. I think number one, with the lockdown uh, this time round, the ability to do do deals right without any cross-border traveling has been significantly impeded. And the second one, you know, with the lockdown, we see a lot of companies taking stock of where they are and driving and making use of the opportunity to drive digital transformation which is a theme that I'm going to talk a little bit about besides ESG. Um, as I say, significant rebound are higher than what we see post-global financial crisis. And then moving into 2022, right, when you have a very strong rebound in 2021, you can see, as you mentioned earlier, based on the statistics that you have quoted, deal value have come down, yeah, both um, deal value as well as deal volume in 2022. But nonetheless, we see a very robust M&A environment in Asia Pac. Now, we in UI, you know, as you know, get involved in a lot of deals. So we have more of a forward-looking view in terms of you know what's happening in the market. So what you see in the statistics is probably six to nine months in terms of things that are happening right now compared to what will be reported in some of the statistics that you have compiled. Deal value and deal activities continue to be very robust. You name uh, certain geographies in Asia Pac, Japan, China, and Australia, right, constitute about uh, 70% of the deal activities here in Asia Pac. And we continue to see, while a slowdown from the previous year because it's an all-time high. It continues to be a pretty robust uh, environment for us. If we look back, what new things have M&A teams learned since the pandemic and to where we are today? I think M&A team has learned a few things, yeah. Number one is in the past, right? M&A team would travel to different parts uh, in Asia-Pac and to do deals. So get calls from clients to, hey, you know, we have signed the LOI with a client. Can you guys have the team on the ground at where the seller is? Um, it could be cross-border. It could be in, in another different geography domestically. But with, you know, the ability for us to do things on platforms such as this, you know, doing deals without any physical presence, 
have prevailed. Uh, I think M&A teams, both from the seller side as well as uh, the buyer side, has managed to you know do a lot of these uh, transactions kind of online, right? Online, if you may, from sharing information, disclosing key financial as well as operational information online, doing negotiation online, which is tough, right? Without kind of the face-to-face element of it. But we see that it can be done, yeah. So we were actually quite surprised that our clients, both on the buyer side as well as the seller side, managed to do this. So I think that shift towards kind of the online platform for both advisors as well as the players to consummate a transaction has been done and can be done, and as you can see that. In terms of the focus, we see a strong focus on technology. So companies are looking at with the pandemic and increase in internet penetration and the ability for people to transact as well as to buy services and products on the internet, really kind of pushing the digital transformation agenda. So digital transformation for companies that are typically more brick and mortar pre-pandemic has kind of taken advantage of the pandemic situation to move online and to transform their supply chain, their customer experience, their operations in a digital way. So that's number one. Number two is, um, as you mentioned earlier, the whole ESG agenda. So ESG agenda, let me break it down to two parts. One is around investing in new energy, investing in one of the hot topics here in Asia Pac is electric vehicles. So anything along the value chain of electric vehicles from better to you know manufacturing to all the charging station and stuff like that we see a lot of activities in that led primarily as I mentioned earlier by Japan as well as China in a slightly different way those two themes are quite prevalent as we can see now the other one is obviously with ESG overall right as I mentioned ESG has two parts to it overall in ESG uh, we see CFO really getting involved in deal making to push the sustainability agenda of the company I think you have done a lot of podcasts in this area. Uh, A lot of people and a lot of experts have come in and talk about balancing between short-term ESG objectives versus long-term ESG objectives. And that's what the the challenge, right? And and what CFOs um, here in Asia Pac are facing. The ability to drive the sustainability agenda for companies, balancing both the short-term as well as the longer-term objectives of the company. In other markets, the starting point for many ESG discussion is the chief sustainability <laughs> officer. Yeah. Does that not exist in our region or is it mostly really just the CFO taking over the, the role of uh, chief uh, sustainability officer? Yeah, it really depends uh, company by company, Alan. I mean, you know, for some of the large corporations uh, that we see operating in key markets, yeah, where ESG is a major imperative. So I talk again about Japan, Singapore, with the Singapore government has a big push uh, in ESG. In Australia, companies are going through major energy transition. Um, So where ESG is a high, you know, strategic topic for the CEO, we see the appointment of chief sustainability officer. Nonetheless, the CSO and the CFO work hand in hand as far as deal making is concerned, right? So from a CSO perspective, it will be about uh, setting the strategic sustainability agenda for the company. But, you know, that one would have both a organic as well as an inorganic agenda. And when it comes to M&A with an inorganic agenda, we see the CFO getting involved because, as you know, CFO, you know, especially for listed company here in Asia Pac, uh, is responsible for sustainability reporting. So that kind of ties in, right? So we see the role between the CSO and the CFO as equals, working to support uh, the strategic agenda of major corporations here in Asia Pac.
Now, given all the concerns of the business today, we've got slowing economies, particularly in China, for example, social political instabilities, we've got the war in Ukraine, rising importance of ESG, which we just covered now. And more recently, we started to hear a lot about inflation creeping in, and it's going to be a bit longer than expected. How do you see m shifting in 2023? Yeah, so going forward, at least in the next 12 to 18 months, while I mentioned earlier, based on the activity that we have, it appears to be, you know, robust still, right? I think moving into 2023, you know, because of the slowing economy and the high interest rate environment, uh, we see a few challenges, yeah. Number one is the ability to fund a transaction. So the cost of borrowing has gone up and companies uh, with strong balance sheet would be able to continue to push their M&A agenda. Companies that need to leverage to fund the deal may face some headwinds. So I think that funding part uh, is something that CFO would need to work through. And that's basically predicated on a company's balance sheet. But by and large, you know, I think for a lot of the active acquirers that we see, such as the major Japanese uh, corporations, the Chabos in Korea, as well as the state-owned, as well as the privately owned uh, enterprises in China, balance sheet looks okay. So by and large, but then generalizing here, there will be kind of specifics where CFO would need to think about how to fund a transaction. So that's number one. Number two is with some of the geopolitical tension, we see deal-making turning inwards. So when I say inwards, it's basically looking at opportunities within their own jurisdiction, within their own market, rather than cross-border. So if you look at you know where you want to acquire targets for strategic growth, where you want to acquire targets to drive your ESG agenda, you can look outside of your country or within the country. So with some of the geopolitical environment, we are seeing more and more, more of an inward-looking view, but looking at opportunities. So if you look at Japan, if you look at China and Australia, within these countries, yeah, there are significant opportunities for growth, significant opportunities for acquisition, and there will be probably a less focus right, around cross-border views. So those are the, you know, some of the headwinds uh, that we are seeing given kind of where we are heading into 2023. One thing I noticed that in the past, the pursuit of M&A is primarily to grow the business. Is this purpose of growth a sustainable strategy? And if not growth, what should be the strategic purpose of M&A moving forward? So I think, you know, from historically, companies almost kind of want to buy their way to growth, right? There has always been a strategy for M&A. So i.e., you know, growth in terms of, you know, accessing a different market. So I would go, you know, acquire a company to serve as a platform for me to enter into a new market. So that's growth. I would buy something that is along my value chain. So if I'm a manufacturer, I would maybe buy something downstream and that's really controlling the value chain for more growth. But we see that Changing, yeah. We see M&A becoming more and more strategic. So one thing, right, it's basically around transformation. So companies are seeing kind of where they are not becoming competitive because they are being disrupted by new players in their industry. So if you're a traditional consumer company, you may see tech players coming in, especially, you know, with some of the unicorns, right, that we have had here in Asia Pack, they may encroach into your space. So if you look at some of the major unicorns, 
in Japan, in ASEAN, and, and in China, they are competing uh, not only in their own space, but encroaching and expanding the industry definition. And because of this threat, companies are looking at how can we use M&A as a strategic tool in order to transform the organization. So I think the transformation agenda is very big here. So you're looking at probably more mid to long term strategic objectives rather than buying revenue and buying profits. And obviously, the other one that we have been reiterating, right, is the ESG agenda, which is also a transformation agenda, but it's more, you know, not on operationally uh, about the company, but really pushing uh, the whole sustainability theme in line with the CEO's uh, objectives. If we look at the involvement of the CFO in M&A activities, past and present, and maybe even future, how has the involvement of the CFO in M&A activities changed primarily since the start of the pandemic? Yeah, I think by and large, it has not changed that much, if you may. If you look at when a company execute a transaction, the CFO will work with the business in terms of due diligence, but probably focus more on the financial aspects rather than the operational aspects. A CFO, as I mentioned earlier, would be responsible for making sure that the deal is funded properly from a company's balance sheet perspective. And the CFO is also responsible in deal making to make sure that the corporate governance of the company, you know, working with uh, legal counsel, both internal and external, to make sure that the deal is in place, right? Those fundamental responsibilities of the CFO have not changed. But I think as we talk about because of sustainability, because of the need to transform, right? I think the CFO is moving beyond kind of the operational responsibilities of the deal into working more on some of the strategic imperative. Because from a CFO perspective, right, he or she gets a overview of the entire portfolio of the business. Business, right, as compared to the business that's looking at specific opportunities. He or she will need to look at it from a corporate perspective, from a corporate governance perspective. How does that deal make sense for the entire enterprise? I think that's very important because that, as I mentioned, uh, will relate to the entire corporate reporting on social responsibility, on the entire corporate reporting around sustainability, and he's responsible for that. So I think the CFO will need to kind of step up from just driving the operational deal making into having the broader context right of those uh, items that I mentioned earlier. Given all of the responsibilities that the CFOs is expected to fulfill today, right, including ESGs and MSAs, how can a CFO be effective in achieving all that is expected of him or her or the role without dropping the ball, as the Americans would call it? Great question. I think, you know, it really depends on from the clients that we have worked with. We have observed the role of the CFO evolving. You know, back in the days, you know, the CFO is defined as somebody who is finance, admin, you know, and payroll, right? If you compare kind of from that role to where we are today uh, with CFO running different parts uh, of the finance of, of the organization, I think the key thing is really to think through and compare on compartmentalizing where you need capability. If I were to be a CFO, I would think about building a very strong treasury capabilities to take care of things when we and when we talk in the context of MA, the funding aspects of it, making sure that the balance sheet can support the transaction. So that's treasury. Then there is a second part around getting strong capabilities on and working with the um, the business 
sometimes the finance organization is a little bit not connected with the business. So really building capabilities in my finance organization to understand the business unit objectives and to work closely with the business leaders, right? And really kind of embed myself in that. And number three, which is basically working on the CEO agenda. Now at that one, obviously, as, as I mentioned, as we talked about earlier, there's a chief sustainability officer. There's usually a chief strategy officer, right? I think the CFO would need to then move away from the operational aspects of the day-to-day running of the finance department to work with some of these key stakeholders. The CEO, obviously, at the top, the chief strategy officer and the chief sustainability officer. So I think building that capability and you can then move up and see it more from a bird's-eye view would kind of change the role of a CFO going forward. So I strongly advocate uh, CFOs in Asia-Pac to think about you know building those capabilities. It's going to be a journey. You can't kind of flip a switch and all of a sudden you have very strong capabilities in those aspects that I talk about, but practice building uh, and team building within, you know, the finance organization is going to be very, very key. You, Paul, thank you very much for joining us on Podcast for Future CFO. Thank you very much, Alan. Glad to be here. That was Yu Po Mac, EY Asia Pacific Strategy and Transactions Leader on the topic of the CFO's role in M&A and other initiatives. You are listening to Podcasts for Future CFO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podcasts for Future CFO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podcasts for Future CFO. Bye for now.